Chapter 13, Part 1 in the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Peter on. So let me ask you another question. Do you love being served or do you love the idea of being served? Or do you love the idea of serving other people? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, most of us, just because we live in America, we're kind of service obsessed. We love people serving us, but we're not necessarily so quick to want to serve other people. Right? And so that's sort of like our posture. Now, there are some exceptions. I do think that there's some of you here where you would prefer to be served, where you would prefer to serve than actually to be served. Right? But I think the general consensus for most of us is that we would much rather be served than actually be the ones to be, the, the ones to be doing the serving. And uh, one of the best examples I can give is the sort of the tail end of my sabbatical, the last week or two, I was actually in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. I was there celebrating a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, Alex G's 60th birthday. He's a pastor. And, uh, and so we went out there to just hang out and to celebrate his 60th birthday. And it was just an amazing place. He had a timeshare at a resort in Mexico. Now that's typical. I've known a lot of people who have timeshares in Mexico, but this, this place it was a different level of nice, all right? It was a, a five-star resort, and it was on a 1,000 acres. I mean, you needed golf carts to get the place to place because the, 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 the place was just so big. And when they found out that it was Alice's 60th birthday, they decided him to give him a free upgrade. Get ready for this. A free upgrade to a 10,000-square-feet mansion. Four bedrooms. I mean, it was just amazing. Full kitchen. The balcony had a pool. Can I show you the picture of the balcony? It had a pool. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was so opulent. I felt a little uncomfortable. We had a butler 24-7. We could call him anytime. We can text him, say we need a ride, we need this. We had a butler, and when he came and said hello, he told us, don't you dare do the dishes. Don't clean your room. Housekeeping will come twice a day to clean up after you. So don't do anything. We are here to serve you. Eight days of this. Man, I can get used to that. <laughs> it was so nice to not have to do dishes, to not have to worry about anything, to have somebody wait on you 24-7. And I think we all love being served. But how many of us are willing to be the ones to be serving? You see, in America, that's okay. But in God's kingdom, it's not the way of a Christian. I wish it was, but it's not. And Jesus is going to encourage us today that if you really want to follow him, you got to be willing to serve. Be the one serving as opposed to wanting to be served. It goes very against the grain of our American culture. Why? Why, Why do you think he does that? Why do you think God wants you to take on the posture of a servant rather than you wanting others to serve you? I think one of the main reasons, I think there are a myriad of reasons, but one of the main reasons is this. God doesn't want you to get into this habit where you think people are here to serve you, because if you do that, then you're actually going to believe that God is here to serve you. Jesus will work with you. He will work through you, but he won't work for you. He's not one of your employees that you dispatch for your own purposes. And a lot of us as Christians, when you think about this, Think about your prayers. Think about sometimes our non-negotiable demands. We have this posture where we expect God to serve us. 
And that's not the way of a Christian. That's not a way of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I think a lot of us like the idea of serving other people, but like Dennis says, but are we really servants? Are we really willing to roll up our sleeves and be a servant? You see, the disciples, they would argue quite, quite often about who's the greatest. I get it, because we all want to be the greatest, don't we? They would argue about who's going to be the greatest in heaven, who's going to be the greatest here. And so they were arguing in Luke chapter 22. So Jesus had to just come on in, because they were arguing about this. Very natural for men, when they're together, to talk about who's the greatest. All right, very natural. All right, so verse 24 of chapter 22. They began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. When he says here, he means not in my kingdom. For I am among you as one who serves. If Jesus Christ, who is God, who is God when he was walking on this earth, chose the path of being the one who serves rather than being served, then you and I must as well. And the truth is, um, I don't know if we're really following Jesus hard and we're serious about it, kind of like what Elder Dennis said, if we just love more the idea of following Jesus than actually following him if we haven't chose his path to serve. And so today we're going to look at the most unthinkable thing that Jesus does outside of his crucifixion. This is one of the most craziest things that Jesus does. He washes the feet of his disciples. And in this passage, he's going to teach us two specific groups of people that we have to be willing to serve. Two specific. All right, we're going to talk about these two specific groups. Who are these groups? Turn with me to John 13. We'll get verses 1 through 17. John 13, 1 through 17. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and returned to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now. You, won't, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. I love it. Never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Do you, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Let's pray. God, we come to you today, Lord, and uh, Lord, sometimes you do these crazy things in the gospel, but nothing is more crazier than this. 
you chose to wash the feet of your disciples. God, help us to understand the context, but more importantly, what this act means for us today. Lord, we love the idea of loving you, calling you our God, but to really call you our God is, one, is a whole different thing. And I think this passage is going to teach us that really to follow you is not really that easy. And this idea of picking up our cross and following you is a lot clearer when we look at a passage like this because you expect us to sacrifice. And so, God, I pray that uh, you'll just guide us today. And, Lord, I pray again, if there's any dark forces or spirits in this room right now, we bind it in the name of Jesus and we send it to the foot of the cross. Be gone now. Be away. And so I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. And so the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John is really focused on the public ministry of Jesus Christ. All right? We see that. Jesus teaches publicly. He does miracles publicly. He does a lot of these signs publicly. But now that we're in chapter 13, we now shift from his public ministry to his private ministry. And so Jesus is now, from chapters 13 to 17, he is pri- he's alone with his disciples, and he's ministering to them privately. It's very important for him to have his time with them. And then verses 18 to 21 will focus on his arrest, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection. All right? And so that's the last second half of the Gospel of John. And in this passage, we see that Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Now, just this is customary back in the first century because men and women wore sandals, all right? I mean, I mean in, in Jerusalem, it was very dusty. It was, they were walking in the desert. And so because their feet got dirty, when they would enter somebody's home, they would actually, somebody would wash their feet. Usually it was a slave that washed their feet. So this wasn't uncommon practice. But what was so shocking was that Jesus, who's a teacher, who's a rabbi, who is the Messiah, decides to take off his robe and tie a towel around his waist. Now, that, now when Jesus does that, he's assuming the posture of a slave because that's what slaves do. When somebody enters into, their, into, into the house, they would take off their robe, put on a towel, tie the towel around their waist, and they would go and proceed washing the feet of the people. And so that he's doing this to his disciples. And you can only imagine the shock in what, they're, what Jesus is doing. But Peter is kind of the rambunctious one. He says, no, 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 Jesus. You will never do this because slaves do this, not my Lord, not my rabbi, not my teacher. And so Jesus says, well, Peter, if I don't do this, you will not belong to me. And then Peter says, well, then you know what? Wash my whole body. And Jesus says, shut up, man. Come on. (laughs) Be quiet, fool. It's just your feet that need the washing. (laughs) It's basically what Jesus is saying. Peter, I, I identify so much with Peter. <laughs> That's why my name is Peter. But listen, when Jesus was doing this, what you got to realize is this. Why would he do this? He was trying to grow in deeper intimacy with his disciples. And so what do we learn about service? Why does God want you to have the posture of serving? Because when you choose to serve God's people, you're growing in intimacy with them. And that's what That's why Jesus says to Peter, you will not belong to me unless you let me do this to you. You will not belong to me unless you let me serve you now. Jesus longs to be in intimacy with us. He longs for you to live in intimacy. But intimacy doesn't happen when you expect people to serve you. Intimacy happens when you are willing to serve the other person. One of the great secrets of marriage 
is wake up every morning, ask yourself, what can I do to serve my spouse today? When was the last time you asked that question? When? Because when you can wake up with that posture, what you're saying is, I want to grow in deeper intimacy with my spouse. Right? It's a real, any, any friendship or any other relationships that you might have, but Jesus does that. Now, how is Jesus able to do this? How is Jesus able to do something that was so obscene because Jesus was a man of status? How does he humble himself and take on the role of a slave and wash the feet of his disciples? How are you and I going to ever get to that place where we can begin to do that in our lives? You know why Jesus was able to do this? Because he had assurance in his relationship with the Father in heaven. That's why Jesus was able to serve. It was because of his assurance of his relation with God. And that too should be the motivation of why you and I serve. Why do we serve? Why should we serve in which Jesus calls us to serve in this manner? It's because we have a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the reason why we serve. We don't serve to show off or to show people that we're more humble. We serve because we have a relationship with God. And our relationship with Jesus Christ, if Jesus did this, if he did this, then we are to follow him as well. It is through our relationship. And really, when we are willing to serve somebody in this way, when we're willing to wash the feet of people in this way, what we're doing is we are making a statement that we're doing this because we have a relationship with our God. In fact, those who always want to be served, it's kind of a sign they don't have a real healthy relationship with God. It's always the ones who would rather serve than being served are the ones who have a healthy relationship with God. You know, I, uh, I, 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 one of the most humblest servants I know is Pastor David Hosang. David is humble, man. This guy in his 70s, he is such a servant. I've known this man for 23 years. And when I was his intern, serving at a very large church, uh, he served me many times. I've seen him behind the scenes. It's not, it's not a show, I guarantee you that. The man is a true servant. Even when we went on the staff retreat about a week and a half ago, you know what he chose to, you know what he signed up for to serve? Because everyone had to serve, like either help prep the food or do cleanup. David chose cleanup. <laughs> And when David does the dishes, man, I mean, man, he does it with such passion. And, like, he doesn't just let the dishes dry. He takes it, and he takes a towel, and he makes sure all the dishes are dried, right? And he'll just, like, make sure they're super dry because he keeps, like, wiping it down. Like, I'm, like, just over. I'm, like, David, they're dry. He just wants to make sure that they're dry. And then he doesn't just leave it there. He puts it away in the cupboard, make sure everything is put away. I mean, that's just David, right? And, you know, when we came for the retreat, we spent a few days at the staff retreat. We bought a ton of water, and a box of water is six, six gallons, right? Six of those gallons. They're eight pounds each. It's like 50 pounds. The dude just grabs it and is walking, and he's a lot stronger than he looks, I promise you, all right? Dude is so strong. And just last Sunday, he was here. He was one of the last to leave. We had a great Thanksgiving lunch. He was here fellowshipping, connecting with everyone. And he was one of the last to leave because he was helping uh, clean up and bring back the tables and all that stuff. And I heard from the grapevine that as he was bringing the table in, somebody didn't see him, and they kind of like almost ran him over with the table behind him, and he fell, right? And so Betty called me and said, could you just make sure he's okay? So he came, we had dinner last Sunday. I'm like, you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Why does he serve like that? Do you know this guy is a legit rabbi? <laughs> on a Friday morning, if you come to the prayer meeting, we do it on Zoom. 
It's like first century stuff, man. The rabbi is there, and he's just teaching, and it's just so beautiful. He holds a PhD in New Testament. He's a New Testament professor. Why does he choose to serve that way? It's because of his relationship with God. It's because of his relationship with Jesus. Because he has this relationship with Jesus, he serves with his full heart in that way. And for David, there is nothing too low for him to do because for him, he knows he's doing this because he loves Jesus Christ. When we choose not to serve, when we expect to serve, oftentimes it's a reflection that we don't have a healthy relationship with Jesus. I've never met somebody who has a vibrant relationship with Jesus and chooses not to serve, not to take on the posture of a servant. It's always the other way around, all right? And so where are you on that spectrum today? Where are you in that spectrum? Would you rather serve or would you rather be served? And so in this passage, there are two groups of people that Jesus expects us to serve, all right? Two groups of people. The first group that he teaches us is this. He wants us to serve our enemies. I picked the hardest one first. The second one's a lot easier, all right? He expects us to serve our enemies, all right? First one through five. And then we're going to jump to 10 and 11, one through five. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he had loved them to the very end. All of them, all right? It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When he was done, let's jump over to verse 10. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean clean. Think about what it says here at the beginning of this passage. Jesus says, Jesus knew he had all the authority from God, right? He had all the authority from God. He knew it. If you had all authority from God, if you knew you had God's authority right now, what would you do with that authority? Like really, what would you do with that authority? You know what I do with God's authority? I'd stop some wars. I'd stop the war going on in the Middle East right now between Israel and Palestine. I'd probably stop the war in Ukraine and Russia, right? I'd probably do that, you know, stop the war in Sudan and Yemen and the other places that we don't hear about. I'd do that. I'd probably uh, take care of global warming, right? I'd probably heal some people to make them feel good so that, you know, their families can rejoice and I can feel good about myself. What does Jesus do when he knows he's been assured that he has the authority of God? He washes the feet of his disciples, but not just his disciples, but also the one that would betray him. That's what he does with the authority of God. You see, the authority of God is deeply woven in his love and his willingness to sacrifice for you and me. And so Jesus knew this. He had the authority of God, and he decides to wash the feet of his enemy, the one who would betray him. And you can only imagine what Jesus was thinking. Because Jesus, like even though he washes the feet of Judas, it doesn't change his heart. He's still going to betray him. You can only imagine what Jesus might be feeling. I loved you so much, Judas. You've been with me for the past three years, washing the feet, the rabbi washing his feet, and still Judas' heart doesn't change. And Jesus doesn't stop loving him. You see, we are called to wash the feet of our, of our enemies. For those people in your life that you would consider to be your enemy. Now, I'm not talking about the enemies you don't have a relationship with. Because sometimes we like to say, yeah, well, this person is my, Vladimir Putin is my enemy. 
Well, he probably is your enemy, but you don't have any relationship with him. I'm talking about the enemies that you have that you've had a relationship with. Those are the people that God is calling you to go and serve. That if you really want to serve him. See, that's a whole different ballgame because you really have access to people like that. That you've already demonized and called your enemy. And who are those people? And maybe some of you don't have that kind of hate and that kind of animosity. So that's not you, okay? But your enemy is somebody that you just don't want to talk to maybe anymore. Somebody who really has hurt you. Your enemy could be a parent. Your enemy could be a family member, a sibling, a coworker, a boss, an ex who promised to marry you, an ex who did some terrible things to you, right? A friend who's betrayed you. Those are your enemies. And Jesus says we are to serve them. We are to serve them. Why? Why should we? Because when we do, it shows that we have a relationship with God. Because when we do, we're doing something that's so antithetical to what this world knows that people will say, well, God must be real because there's no way that people can do this without the love of God. You see, the truth is, at one point or another, at one point in our lives, we were all enemies towards God. But yet God still loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross to resurrect from the dead. And if we've really understood that, if you understood the love and the depth of God's grace and his mercy for you, and yet we don't return that favor to others, then how can we ever say that the love of God is really in us? All right, 1 John, he, he convicts us in 1 John. He says, when you see a brother or sister in need and you don't do anything, how could you say the love of God is really in your hearts? We've done enough to hurt God. We've done enough to oppose him. And yet he still loves us and he still died for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead. And he calls us to do the same. So who are your enemies today? We open your heart and say, you know what? I will begin to serve them in my life. You know how you serve them? The first step to serving any of your enemies or your frenemies, you know what it is? Forgiveness. I talked about this last week. That's the first step. You're not going to be able to get anywhere until you first forgive them you got to be willing to forgive them. Last week I talked about how forgiveness is a sign where you're submitting yourselves to, to other people out of reverence for Christ. you got to get to that place. The first step is you have to forgive this person that has really hurt you, that has done some wrong to you. Nothing excuses them for what they've done. One day they will have to stand before God, and they will be judged by that. But that's not for you to judge. Your calling is to forgive, to not allow the residue of bitterness to fester in your heart because the more you allow the bitterness to fester, the more you give the Satan legal rights to your soul. And you have to be willing to forgive that person. That's the first step, and that God can show you other things going forward. But the first step is you got to forgive. Jesus forgave Judas. You know how we know that? Because when Judas came with the Jewish leaders and the soldiers to arrest Jesus, do you know how Jesus addresses Judas? I don't know if you ever caught this in Matthew. Matthew 26, 50. Let's go there. Matthew 26, 50. Jesus says, my friend, go ahead and do what you've come for. Jesus calls him friend. If, you, if somebody has hurt you, if somebody is your enemy and you have not forgiven them, you would not call them friend. Jesus says, friend, come and do what you've come to do. Jesus forgave Judas even before Judas even did what he did. And so you, ha- you and I have to get to the place where we are willing to allow ourselves to truly forgive. You see, the calling of a Christian is to serve people, but not just serving the good parts of them. We're called to serve even the worst parts of people. 
We're called to serve and love the worst parts of everyone, right? Jesus doesn't just come and love the good parts of us. He came and loved and he served even the bad and the worst parts of who we are. And as Christians, when we serve, we got to be willing to serve and love people for the good things that they are, but we also have to be willing to love and serve the worst parts of who they are. We don't have to love those things, but we have to be willing to serve them, even the worst parts of them. See, that's the love of God in that way. And when you and I can do that, then something deeper will happen. Jesus forgave Judas. He calls him friend. He calls him friend. Um, so many of you know the story. I, I, I grew up my whole life never believing I was going to forgive my father. I made a promise to myself growing up as a kid. I would never forgive him for the kind of violence that he caused in my home, the hurt that he caused. And really it was college when I realized I got to forgive him. You know why? Because I almost killed him. I almost killed him while he was sleeping. I almost stabbed him with a knife. That's how broken I was. That's how angry I was towards him. And I said to myself, I have to change. Because if I don't, not only will I take, I might take this man's life, but I didn't like the kind of person I was becoming. And so I took the road to doing this. I invited him up to campus. And we started hanging out. I wanted to know a little bit more about him. I didn't know anything about my father's story. And then we got to know each other more. And we got to have, actually start having a relationship. And when I graduated from college and I worked for four years and I felt God was calling me into, the, into ministry, I actually shared that with my parents at the dinner table one night. I said, hey, I feel like God is calling me to be a pastor. And you would think it'd be my mom who would say, go for it, honey. My mom was like, you sure you want to do that? Like being a pastor is hard and you have a good job right now. Like why would you want to quit your job and do that? My father, you know what he said to me? He said, if God calls you, you must do it. I was like, all right, dad. <laughs> I decided to. A couple years later, got married. Jenny and I packed our bags in August of 2000. We were getting ready to drive from Jersey to California. And before we left, I had never seen my dad cry in my entire life. He didn't like weep. He was trying to hold it in, but he couldn't. And he cried. And before I left, he said, Sarang. He's, I love you. Now you need to know something. My father was born in 1931. He's old school Korean. Korean men don't say I love you verbally to their sons or to their children. It's just not what happens. He said I love you. When I graduated from seminary, I came back and I started Metro and I realized I needed a, to have a monthly breakfast hangouts with him. I just thought it would be good for me to do that with him on a monthly basis. And we did it every month. And, you know, usually he would try to, like, you know, ask me about how the church is doing. And my father somehow became, a, like, a church planting expert. He started giving me all this advice on how to plant a church, right? <laughs> I was like, all right, Dad, you got it, you got it. But during one of the meetings that we had, our monthly meetings, he said, you know, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I never thought I would live my entire life to ever hear my father say, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Man, you don't know how much he served me by saying just those two things. But it never would have happened unless I was willing to take that step of forgiving. It never would have happened. Do you know the kind of amazing person you can become when you can learn to serve your enemies? Do you know how amazing you'd be? And God will show you as you just take that first step of forgiving that person then you'll start to open doors for you to see them in different ways, but also God will orchestrate some things that oftentimes will leave you speechless. Why does God want you to do this? you think God just wants us to be miserable? No, it's really not. God wants to enlarge in your capacity to love. 
God really wants to grow our capacity to love because the truth is for a lot of us, our capacity to love is so shallow. It's so narrow. You only want to love people who love you back and that's it. Anyone can do that. You don't need Jesus to love people who love you back. God wants to grow your capacity to love. And the only way your capacity to love will grow is if you're actually willing to forgive and serve your enemies today. He wants to grow that. And when you can grow, when your capacity to love grows, man, you become this amazing human being. People will see who God is through your own life because you're able to forgive those people who you should never forgive. People will say something like, are you an angel, man? How are you able to forgive somebody like that? How are you able to be okay? It is supernatural too. So who do you need to forgive today? Will you let God grow your capacity to love? Not going to happen unless you and I are willing to serve our enemies. I hope that you'll take that seriously. And you'll start asking yourself, who is the person I need to forgive? Who is that person? All right. Second and last thing, we serve our enemies, but then we serve people in the church. That's the second group of people he wants us to serve. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on this robe, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. We're called to serve each other. Jesus served his disciples. And in many ways, what that is, is that's the community of believers. We are called to serve people in this church. Then he wants you and I to get to a place where we can begin to serve people in this church. Not necessarily come to church to want to be served, but we come here to serve. That that should be our posture. Because when we serve one another, we're demonstrating our love for one another. And that's an important thing for us to do. And so I hope you do that. I hope we don't just come to church and say, well, I want to come here because, you know, I like the worship team. I feel like I could maybe make some good friends. You know, I could you know, maybe meet somebody, maybe meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'm not saying all those, those are not bad things. Those are good things, right? Because where else are you going to meet some people? Especially some good Christian people. Many times at church. But our motivation of why we come should be to serve one another. To serve each other. Why? Because it produces intimacy and oftentimes it's a byproduct of our healthy, vibrant relationship with God. And so can I just encourage you, if you're not serving in a ministry, it is important that you start thinking about doing that. Not because we need you here at the church, although we do need you, but not just because of that, okay? But really, more importantly, because it's a reflection of your relationship with God. It really is. It's a reflection of your relationship with God, that you're willing to serve rather than be served. I know there are stages in everyone's life, and we go through different stages, but we are to really take on this posture of serving one another because when we do that, we're declaring our love for the body of Christ. This body of Christ, the church that was built upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church in which Jesus is the head. That's why we can't. Be like these other Christians that don't have faith in the church anymore. I know there are messed up churches. I know people have gotten hurt. I know many of you have gotten hurt. But please understand, theologically speaking, Jesus is the head of the church. We must not lose faith in the church because God hasn't lost faith in the church. We are to serve the church. We are to serve the people in this church because your service can make a difference in the lives of the people who come.
Galatians 5.16. Look at how Paul encourages the people of the church. For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Use this freedom that God has given to you to choose to serve. Choose to serve. You can go on the communication card. There's a list of all of our ministries. If you're interested, you can sign up today to serve in some capacity. Now, here's the thing I do have to share with you. You have to learn to serve with no strings attached, though. Because sometimes we serve with strings attached, hoping to get something in return, to get some level of recognition from a pastor or from somebody in the church. We serve because we want the recognition. We serve because we expect people to love us back. No, I know that's a natural thing that we like to do as humans, but as Christians, we have to learn to serve with no strings attached. That's what Jesus did to Judas. He served him with no strings attached. Otherwise, otherwise, you're, if you're not careful, you're going to be one of the reasons why there's no community in this church. If you serve and love with strings attached, you're going to end up being the reason why people don't love each other, or there's no community that's really being built up because you're going to get hurt one day because you're going to feel, whenever you have strings attached, you're always going to feel like the person is not loving you back enough or appreciating what you're doing. And you're going to start getting angry and bitter and all those things, and that's dangerous. Years ago, many years ago, we had a, a group of men that would meet together on a weekly basis. And these guys were mostly men who were very successful. And... Um, in this group, there was one guy who really took to a, a younger guy, and he liked him a lot. And so they started hanging out a lot. They would go out, they would eat. He was very generous. He would buy dinners all the time. Then the families would get together, take his family out for dinner. They spend a lot of time together. And so this man who was being so generous towards this guy, serving him and his family, I mean, even like pay for vacations. They went to like the Bahamas and different Caribbean islands and he would pay for it because he knew this other friend wasn't as well off. And so he would do things like that. And so he naturally, because he loved and served them in that way, he just had some expectations. And during one of the small group meetings, this guy started sharing because they all started sharing things that they were struggling with. And so he started opening up and sharing about some things that he struggled with. Well, that didn't go very well with the guy who was being very generous towards him because he felt betrayed. He thought that they were buddies. He thought that, that information that he shared publicly in the group should have been shared with him first before he shared it in the group. And so he got so angry. You know what he did? I'm not making this up. He character assassinated him publicly in the group. He was hoping that people would stop being his friend. And the reason why I know this is because I had to step in and intervene here because it was getting toxic, right? A lot of this was coming from a place of hurt. But at the end of the day, what he was doing was that he was serving and loving this person with strings attached. And that's what we cannot do. When you serve with strings attached, it's going to become toxic. So we got to learn to not do that. We have to learn to love, serve one another in this church with no strings. We do it because we love and that's it. Otherwise, you will be disappointed. And the sad thing is that many times we'll go from church to church to church because we'll just leave because we get so disappointed and hurt. And it becomes like this vicious cycle that there's never a church that's going to fully satisfy you. I hope that we would be people of God that will learn to love and serve people with no strings attached. And that we would even not only serve the church, but that we'd be willing to serve our enemies, people who have deeply wronged and hurt us. That we would take that first step of forgiving. 
beautiful things happen. Jesus does the unthinkable. He washes the feet of his disciples, even though one of the 12 betrays him deeply, betrays him unto his death. So who are you going to serve? Will you be willing to serve in this church? Or are you willing to serve your enemies? It's my hope and prayer that you would because Jesus says, if you do these things, at the end of verse 17, he says, God will bless you for doing them. I hope God blesses you. But it often requires us to do something. Jesus says, you've got to be willing to serve. So when we were at the staff retreat, I really felt like we needed to um, wash each other's feet because I was preaching on this passage. And it's probably been about a decade since we've actually, as a staff, washed each other's feet. And I knew people weren't excited about this. Because right? they're like, hey, what are these big uh, buckets for? And I was like, well, we're going to wash each other's feet. And they were just kind of like, why are we going to do that? Like, you know, that was, just like, that, was, that was just like a symbolic. It wasn't, Jesus didn't really want us to wash each other's feet. People didn't want to do that, right? And IJ was like, listen, my feet are really ticklish. I'm not going to keep a straight face. If somebody touches my feet, I'm just going to laugh the whole time. I don't know if this is going to be the right thing to do. But I said, guys, listen, I'm preaching on John 13. Like, I'm preaching the church of what Jesus did. I think we need to do it. I feel convicted. I think we need to try. So I told Hannah, can you get some buckets, get some towels, and let's just bring it to the retreat center. Let's see what happens. I didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe this was a crazy idea. But I was actually blown away by what happened. We shot a video, unfortunately, it isn't landscape, it's more portrait, so the ones in the back, you may not be able to see kind of how it impacted our staff, but it really did. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. And so can we see the video? Can we get the lights? And let's see this video. a real great time. And um, uh, one of the things that I wasn't expecting uh, was how the Spirit of God just really fell heavy in the room. And everyone, almost everyone, what they did before they actually washed the, f the feet of someone, they looked at them in the eye. And I'm just paraphrasing, but they said, it is an honor and a delight for me to serve you and wash your feet in this way. And just people were overwhelmed. And I, and I still remember with Sunita, Sunita just looked at Catrice 
and she just broke down. Didn't even say a word. Just saw her looking at somebody face to face and saying it's a joy and a privilege. IJ did really well. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't laugh at all. You know why? Because as Pastor Josue was washing his feet, Josue just broke down and started weeping. Because I think for him, it was an opportunity for him to become more intimate with a brother in Christ. But maybe he saw that this is what Jesus must have felt like. And they hugged at the end. And I'm telling you, they hugged really long. <laughs> to the point where I start to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, you can stop it. Break it up now, guys. But they hugged for minutes in each other's arms. It was one of the most beautiful signs of intimacy. And what it did was it allowed us to again affirm, grow in this assurance that we have a relation with Jesus Christ. I loved, uh, I, I, it wasn't on social media on Thanksgiving, but I got on the glip on Friday and I just saw the beautiful heartfelt, I love you, Thanksgiving to the staff on our glip messages. And I just saw that we're committed to each other in this way. Jesus says, if you do these things, God will bless you. He's not trying to make your life miserable. God really wants to bless you. But it's really a matter of how much are you willing to serve? Will you serve your enemies today? Will you serve the people in this church? I don't know what God is capable of in terms of his blessings upon your life, but I do know he's an amazing God. And I hope that today you will begin the process of serving your enemy and serving the people in your church. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So could you find that one person in your life that you don't want to forgive, that you find very hard to? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to just ask you to commit to forgiving them, but I'm going to ask you right now to spend some time praying a blessing upon their life, a real blessing, a true blessing. Pray a blessing upon their life right now. Let's start it right now. Serve them. And when you can pray a blessing upon your enemy's life, you will begin to forgive them. Do it for 30 days straight. I guarantee you'll be able to forgive them by that 30th day. Because forgiving someone just means you want the best for them. And when you're constantly praying a blessing upon an enemy's life, you'll find that God would naturally soften your heart to the point where you've already forgiven this person because you really do wish the best for them. So who is that person? Pray a blessing for them right now. And the second thing I want you to do is that if you're not serving in this church in any capacity, why not? Right? Many of us love the idea of serving, but we don't really serve. Could I encourage you to think about that and say, you know what, I'm going to serve. I'm going to take that step that this week, I'm going to find a ministry where I can kind of plug in and serve in. So I'm going to give you just a moment to do that, and then I'll pray for us.
Some of you are not even capable of realizing your capacity and how big your capacity can be to love people, even those who have hurt you. And if you prayed a blessing upon a person that you consider your enemy, I just want to congratulate you and affirm you for doing something so different, so difficult, and literally reversing the power of Satan in your life now. God, thank you for this time, Lord. And uh, Lord, it's not easy to, to love and serve even our own enemies. And Lord, when we see you doing this, it, it almost seems like it was so easy. It was effortless for you, but it wasn't. It was hard for you to wash the feet of somebody who's going to betray you unto your death. A person whom you love so faithfully for three years, never, ever for one day did you not love Judas. And yet you still washed his feet. And then when he came to betray you, you called him friend. God, I don't think we can ever get to that place, but God, would you help us to continue to strive and do our best? And so I pray for those enemies that we prayed a blessing upon right now. God, change our hearts towards them. God, you love everyone. That means you even love our enemies. And so God, I pray that you would help us to forgive. And God, maybe then you would enlarge in our capacity to love in such a way, God, that uh, Lord, that maybe one day we'll be shocked at the response of the people in which you've called us to love these enemies of ours. So would you just bless the people in this room that have taken the courageous step of serving and loving their enemies. And then I pray for those that have also prayed about serving in this church. Now, this is a, a, a great way for us to affirm and grow in our relationship with you. And the light that we have, which is your light, your presence, you don't want us to hide it under a table. You want us to put it on the lampstand so the light can shine. So I pray that these people who have made a commitment to serve God, that you would seal it and that they would begin that process of serving in this church. And as they do, God, that you would also enlarge in their capacity to love and love your people. So God, be with our church, God, and we thank you that you say that if we do these things, that our Father in heaven will bless our lives. And so we stand on that truth and that promise that you gave 2,000 years ago, and we claim it for our lives even today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.